This is a reading from The Rock by T.S. Eliot. Let me show you the work of the humble. Listen. In the vacant places, we will build with new bricks. Where the bricks are fallen, we will build with new stone. Where the beams are rotten, we will build with new timbers. Where the word is unspoken, we will build with new speech. There is work together, a church for all, and a job for each, every man to his work. What life have you if you have not life together? There is not life that is not in community, and no community not lived in praise of God. And now you live dispersed on ribbon roads, and no man knows or cares who is his neighbor unless his neighbor makes too much disturbance. But all dash to and fro in motor cars, familiar with the roads and settled nowhere. Much to cast down, much to build, much to restore. Let the work not delay, time and the arm not waste. Let the clay be dug from the pit, let the saw cut the stone, let the fire not be quenched in the forge. And the wind shall say, Here were decent, godless people. Their only monument, the asphalt road, and a thousand lost golf balls. When the stranger says, What is the meaning of this city? Do you huddle close together because you love each other? What will you answer? We all dwell together to make money from each other? Or, this is a community. When the stranger says, What is the meaning of this city? Do you huddle together because you love each other? What will you answer? We all dwell together to make money from each other? Or this is a community? And I think the theme of community is incredibly relevant uh, to us today. You know, baptism is something that is done in community. It is a community act. It says in the service, we welcome you into the fellowship of the Spirit. And the key community word there is fellowship. And it means one who shares with another. One who shares with another. And, you know, in celebrating John Dender today, we're really celebrating the fellowship that he continues to represent through his music. The fellowship that we have here in our valley community. And I can think of no more important time, really, in the world to be talking about community. Not just our spiritual community here that Adeline has joined, not just our valley community, but the community that is our country and the community that is our world. Now more than any other time, we're able to we're able to experience the world as a community. You know, in the past, you know, nations have got together in, and formed groupings, you know, mainly for their own self-interest. But now, with the development of mass media on a macro level and social media on a micro level, you know, we're all connected, connected like never before. Literally, like never before. You know, governments... And individuals are trying desperately, you know, to put the genie back in the box, you know, by regulation, by force, by trying to control it. But the fact is, for good or ill, we're all out there now together. And once again, we have to try to work out what sort of community this will all end up as. According to Scott Peck, who wrote The Road Less Travelled, every community goes through four stages. 
There are four stages of community. The first stage is pseudo-community. And that's really about conflict avoidance. Pseudo-community, where you're just nice to each other all the time. Conflict avoidance. And with social and mass media, you know, we've gone through that phase. You know, in the first days of innocent social media, everyone was pretty nice to each other. But actually, Tahrir Square in Egypt showed us that, you know, we've moved beyond that. There's something more that's come into that. And the second stage of community, after that first one, pseudo-community, the second stage is chaos. Scott Peck says the second stage is chaos. And I think in media terms, we're in that at the moment. It's chaos. This is where individual differences are right out in the open. That's the chaos. And it feels like things are going out of control. Dealing with chaos you're going to deal with it, requires deep listening and attention to what people are trying to say. That's how you deal with chaos. Deep listening, and we're not through this yet, deep listening and real attention to what people are trying to say. You know, often when you're in chaos in community, the response is like, help, what's going wrong? You know, you feel that. It feels like it's all going wrong at that point. But sometimes we need to include that chaos as part of the whole process of creation, of creating. And this is, you know, where we say, help, this is chaos. And we then say, let's try and organize it. You know, and the governments are trying to do that now. However, in that organization, in that trying to get things together, we actually miss the real community like a real community making that comes out of chaos. If you're just trying to control something, you don't get the community making. Because the third stage of community after chaos, all good news, this is emptiness. Interesting that, emptiness. And this is actually, emptiness is the way out of chaos. Rather than organise the chaos, which you know takes the creative element out of it, emptiness is emptying ourselves out of the barriers that we have to our communication. And those barriers that we have are our attitudes about other people, our resentments about other people, our expectations about how people should behave, our preconceptions, our prejudices, even our ideologies and our solutions. In order for actually us to move through that chaos, we have to empty ourselves out of our judgmentalism. And it just makes sense to me. If you look at it on a micro level, we, if you're just a few people together like us, you know, if for us to you know, move through senior community, which is what happens when we all come in, we're all nice to each other, and then there's chaos, help, what's going on here? And then, you know, empty us, okay, well, I'm not going to judge you because of this or that or the other. That is what emptiness is about. You know, that old thing that Maestro Eckhart says of, you know, getting to that point where you want for nothing with those people and you're not trying to make them be anything and you realise you know nothing about them. Wanting for nothing, willing nothing, knowing nothing. That terrifying prospect of entering the unknown. And that is the emptiness. We always want to be right about how to deal with stuff. And this, the way through that chaos is by not being right, by just going into the unknown. We have to move together into that unknown. And there's a great resistance with that, especially when we're trying to exert some sort of control over people. You know, that lovely phrase that life is not a problem to be solved. Life is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be lived. 
We just want to solve everything. And that's death. We just want to get everything out of the way so we just lie down in our warm bath with our headphones on, you know, with some pretty pictures. No one's going to disturb us. Even a feeding tube, so you don't have to worry about that. And even something to get rid of it all. You know, so you don't have to do anything. That is the end product of that. No, life is a mystery. When we move into the emptiness, we realize that it's not just all about fixing things, our problems, or each other. Instead, it becomes about opening up to life and the mystery of that life. And in community, we begin to reveal ourselves at that moment rather than to hide, to tell the truth about our lives to each other. But, you know, that makes us vulnerable. And that's a challenge that we face, just in a small community, to be vulnerable, and in a wider community. We don't want to be vulnerable. We want to be strong. We want to be in control. We want to solve the problems. And actually, that's just part of the chaos. It's about that vulnerability, because... That then leads to the last stage of the development of community, and that is the last stage after that vulnerability is active engagement, where we give up our personal agendas, and instead we do things for the good of the whole, a whole which we are a part of, active engagement, doing things for the good of the whole. And this being a spiritual community here, we believe that there is a fundamental order behind all things. You know, there is a fundamental order. That's my job, you know, to believe that, to know that. There is a fundamental order behind all things. And given the chance, that order will help us solve the world's problems. And even the most powerful people in the world, you know, aren't able to solve those problems. But given the chance, that order can come through. That is what we're doing here at the chapel. Allowing that life force to come through us and help us form something that we couldn't imagine if we tried. That's what we're trying to do here. You know, up to this moment, up to this moment, you know, everything's been formed in our minds, you know, and really that idea of solving the problems is really that idea of moving the, you know, the furniture around on the deck of the Titanic. You know, you're just moving things around, hoping you're not going to sink, and you do have that feeling, especially with, you know, politics in the world. The next stage is to have an opportunity to transcend that existing paradigm and to move, which is moving beyond our minds, moving beyond our great ideas that we've all got as to how to solve the world's problems. It's no longer, you know, being about our furniture that we're moving, but we come together and we're led as to what to do. We begin to express the same will through different expressions of that will. It's opening up to something, a deeper order. You know, like the aspen tree, the largest plant on earth, we all grow from the same source. That's the idea behind it. And therefore, there is order in the combination of our manifestations. Now, you know, you're all thinking, oh, this is all idealistic and stuff like that. But what other end are we working for, if not that end? Surely that is where we want, you know. Is it really about our own interests? You know, what is the meaning of this world? You know, is it for us to get what we want? Well, you know, what will you answer to that question? We all dwell together. You know, do we all dwell together to make money from each other? Is that really what it's about? Or is this a community? From the Latin word communist, in common, public, shared by all or many. I saw a quote from the Dalai Lama. He wrote this big thing after Las Vegas. 
you know, and, and, and the impact that Las Vegas had had, and he came up with a response to it. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he just says one paragraph that really struck me. He said, we are social animals who live in communities, who depend on each other to survive. He said, therefore, we need to respond to each other with love and compassion. Scientists have found evidence revealed by young infants that basic human nature is compassionate. However, our natural instinct of compassion tends us to be biased towards those that are close to us. Our instinct with that compassion is just to be nice to all those and compassionate to those who live around us. Since we're all interdependent, we all benefit if our neighbours are peaceful, whether they are a neighbouring family or a neighbouring country. Therefore, we need to extend our compassion to the whole of humanity. And that just really makes sense to me. You know, our planet is a community. It seems to me that it would be such a shame if we have to wait for an alien invasion or some huge global disaster to happen before we all come together and realise that we're a community and that we have to solve each other's problems as well as our own. Otherwise, those problems will revisit us in other ways. You know, poverty and pollution in China is just as much a problem for the US as unemployment and wage disparity in the US is a problem for China. And for us to come to terms with this, there has to be a shift in the way that we see the world. You know, there has to be a shift in consciousness. And that's what we're about here. That's why we're baptising Adeline. That's what we're baptising her into, a community that cares at this deep level. And that, I think, is what John Denver and the Aspen Ideal is about. It's about a recognition of the necessity of a shift in consciousness for any sort of transformation to take place in this world and in this country. And we are all on the way to that, whether we know it or not, because it has to come. The very tools of that shift are in all of our hands today. You know, in all all our mobile phones, all that stuff that connects us together is the tools for that shift in consciousness. You know, much is said about how modern technology isolates and that we go to dinner parties and we all got our phones on the table. However, the fact is we are all now connected and we know what's going on all over the world, whether we like it or not. And that is a huge step forward. It is the information, it, it, that is to the information age what steam was to the Industrial Revolution. And we are only at the beginning of this particular revolution. You know, people were terrified of the steam engine. Did you know that? They were ter- and it wasn't helped by the fact that the very first running of Stevenson's rocket, the first steam engine, the day was marred by the death of William Huskinson, the Member of Parliament for Liverpool, who was struck down and run over by the train on the very first running of it. So everyone was terrified of steam engines. And look at all that now. And we are in the very same first steps of mass media and social communication. You know, mass media is about 50 years old. And social media, as we can hear from that phone... Is about 10 years old. And the battle for the soul of our planet is going to be waged through this. You know, governments are trying to force their agendas. Individuals are trying to force theirs. And behind it all, there's a possibility that as more and more people come to realise the interconnectedness of all things, that the universe is a friendly place, a 
And it, it is love that makes the world go round, not money. More people realizing this, love the world makes the world go round, that there is an interconnectedness, that the universe is a friendly place. As that realization becomes more present, so that can flow through social media. You know, 20 years ago here, I would be speaking to 120 people in front of me, and that would be it. You know, today I'm going out live on the internet here and on Facebook, and after that, a, a, a recording of that will continue to exist and be available. And if you want to know how to get it, there's a red card at the back of the table that you can get. But, you know, it's, it's there. And that's just a little old Aspen Chapel. You know, we're at a stage where, you know, we recognize community or we die. That's it. We recognize community or we die. And each of us can make a difference to that in our daily lives, by the decisions we make, by the way that we express ourselves to the world. You know, in moving from that stage of chaos through the stage of emptiness and vulnerability to a point where we have the humility to listen to others, to listen to our planet, to listen to our hearts, to listen for that still small voice, only then will we be able to work things out. Now, you know, only then do we avoid the problem of, you know, the risk of extinction, which is there. And, you know, it's in our hands as to how we deal with that. You know, we're really on the cusp. And yet we do have the wisdom to make the right choices. More and more the idea of connectivity and the planet being a living organism of the existence of a deeper consciousness, more and more that is gaining hold. You know, Jesus said, I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. The kingdom of heaven is within us. The kingdom of heaven is within us. And that is the answer to the madness around us. Not all the religious stuff, but the very fact that there is a consciousness that exists within us. And it takes enough of us to live by that for others to see the sense in it. You know, our value's always been about that here. You know, this ideal was there before all the money came along. And it has continued, despite all the money being here, and that's why I came from England, to be in that environment. And I suspect that's why many of you have chosen to live here. I'm sure that's why John Denver was here. So Adeline's baptism is a reminder of the community that we share and those questions that were asked, you know, do you choose to join the mission of bringing the light of wisdom to the world? It's a question for all of us. Do you choose to join that? Are you willing to devote your life to the, to the will and purposes of God, or whatever you call it, you know, whatever you like to call that. You know, who knows what God is? I don't. Will you join us in making that contribution to the world? That's the essence of it. And the more people that hold on to that worldview, the more chance we have of that wisdom prevailing. You know, they say the tipping point's 10%. That's what they say. That when you get 10% of a view, then, you know, things happen. I don't know if it's true, but, you know, it's worth keeping going. We are a part of the largest community that has ever existed on the planet. And as Walt Whitman said, this is what you should do. Love the earth and sun and the animals. Despise riches. Give alms to everyone who asks. Stand up for the stupid and the crazy. Devote your income to the labor and labor to others. Hate tyrants. Argue not concerning God. Have patience and indulgence towards the people. Take off your hat 
to nothing known or unknown or to any man or number of men. Go freely with powerful, uneducated persons, with the young and with mothers of families. Read these leaves in the open air every season of every year of your life. Re-examine all you've been told at school and in the church or in any book. Dismiss whatever insults your soul and your very flesh, your very flesh shall be a great poem and have the richest fluency, not only in its words, but in the silent lines of its lips and faith and between the lashes of your eyes and in every motion and joint in your body. That's our task. That's how we do it. And that's how we continue to create a community that can make a contribution to the different difficulties that we have in the world at the moment. That's it. Let's pray for the world as well. You can always do that as well, if in doubt. So, Lord, we do uh, hold together collectively our interconnectedness, and we just join in with all those who are bringing that love into the world. We pray for that love and peace in our leaders' hearts, leaders all over the world. We pray for all the difficult situations in the world. Pray for North Korea, pray for Russia, pray for Afghanistan, Iraq, everywhere where there is difficulty politically, where there is war, where there are problems. And we pray for that light and compassion to exist in those places. And we continue to pray for those people affected by disasters, whether willful or not. Pray for those families who have a lifetime of grief in Las Vegas, people in Puerto Rico, people in Mexico, Southeast Asia, people all over the world struggling, in prisons, homeless, ill. We ask your healing power to go to them. And we pray for those especially who are parts of our community, people who we're caring about from here, Patricia Hill, Will Welsh, Pat Smith, Molly McCarthy-Coman, Barbara Orcutt, Tegan Sullivan, Soleil, Lee Bougade, Joan Valentine and Lindley, Elise Strickland, Sharon Wells, Anne Bayard, Cindy Bonds, Dave Connero recovering from heart surgery, Harriet Thompson, who is now in hospice care and in her final days, Nancy Oaks Hall undergoing cancer treatment, Barbara Robosky undergoing cancer treatment. And finally for the family of Hayden Kennedy and his partner Inge Perkins and their family. Pray for them all. May your Holy Spirit go to them and bless them. In Jesus' name, amen.